you or someone you love needs help for an addiction, where do you turn? Foundations Recovery Network offers individualized treatment for the whole person. Our goal goes beyond short-term sobriety. We address substance abuse and co-occurring mental health issues together, providing a firm foundation for long-term recovery. The first step is often the hardest, but we're here with a free assessment, insurance information, and treatment options. Our confidential helpline is available 24-7, so call 877-714-1318 and discover the Foundation's Recovery Network difference today. This is Rich Roll, and you're listening to Silver Guy Radio. Yo, what's up? Thank you for tuning in today. Thanks to Humans for bringing us in. Thanks to you for supporting the show. Uh, I'm Shane Raymer. You're listening to That Sober Guy Podcast. And uh, today we're talking to Zach Brown. Uh, Zach's journey started when he showed up at an AA clubhouse uh, that he knew his grandfather went to. Wasn't really sure what to expect. And uh, it was his last resort before the liquor store. And I soon realized in the meeting that he was an alcoholic and received hope in the fact that there were others like him and uh, met those other uh, other men and women had recovered. Uh, Zach kept going back, uh, which is huge. So we say that, keep coming back. Uh, he got a sponsor, uh, he read the book, and he worked the steps. Uh, now today, Zach's preparing to move his family uh, to Liberia, West Africa, to be closer to his work. And uh, him and his family are going to serve orphans there through an organization called Orphan Aid Liberia. And uh, we're going to talk about that. I was just, uh, you know, Zach and I were just chatting uh, before, and uh, I was just saying how amazing it is and how crazy it is at the same time. So uh, we're going to learn more about that. Before we get into Zach's story and, uh, and, and that discussion, be sure to check us out at thatsoberguy.com for past episodes, for resources. Uh, you can also connect with us on Instagram at realthatsoberguy and on Twitter at Shane Raymer. Uh, I want to give a shout out to my buddy and listener of the show, Jeremy. He just celebrated 30 days of sobriety. Uh, Jeremy and I have been chatting back and forth for, uh, for a couple of months now and um, uh, just really proud of him and really stoked for him to get that 30-day uh, chip. So uh, congrats, my brother. Uh, good, good stuff coming for you ahead. Uh, keep it up. Um, we also have Aaron Walker back on the show next week. Uh, I'm really excited to have him back on. Uh, Aaron's a great dude. Uh, he's not in recovery, but he's got a lot of great things to answer from or to talk about uh, from a spiritual perspective uh, and just on life. He's got a lot of experience and he's done some really cool things. So uh, we'll be chatting with him again uh, next week. So be sure to check out for that uh, or look out for that show coming up. Uh, January 20th, Shane Raymer and Mark Saratella present That Sober Guy podcast live at the Hollywood Improv with special guests Darren Prince and Brandon Novak. Uh, pumped about that show. For tickets and more information, you can go to thatsoberguy.com slash live shows. Uh, if you also, um, or, or you can also go to improv.com slash Hollywood and get tickets there. Um, Let's see, what else we got here? A couple more things and we're going to get to Zach. Uh, if you need some help, you can call Foundations Recovery Network. They have a private and confidential line. It's 877-714-1318. They have nationwide residential and outpatient facilities. Uh, we've been working with Foundations for a few years now. We go out to their conferences. Uh, we get to interact with a lot of the people at their treatment facilities as well as uh, people inside Foundations uh, out of Nashville. So, um, they're great people. They really do care. And if you need some help, you have a question for you or a loved one, uh, be sure to give those guys a call. When, uh, once again, it's 877-714-1318. Uh, and then the last thing, we just launched the How to Navigate the First 90 Days of Sobriety podcast video course. Um, 
a little bit why we created this. And, and I put together this course with a bunch of, um, a bunch of good people who I'm um, friends and colleagues with, uh, some doctors, some fellow podcasters, uh, even my sponsor, Buddy C, got involved in it. Um, so, you know, I was really confused out of my first 90 days when I got home from treatment. So I thought, let's put something together that can help folks navigate what that looks like and hear some stories and hear some shares and some experience about what worked and what didn't work for other people. So if you'd like to check that out, uh, you can, you can uh, do that by going to that soberguide.com and clicking on courses. I wear a hunting vest and Wranglers, by the way, when I first got out of rehab, I've never done that in my life. So it's kind of a funny thing. You can tell I was pretty darn confused in those first 90 days. Uh, so yeah, go there, check that out. Um, I think that's it. That was a, a hell of a lot of announcements today. Um, I'm glad those are over and I'm really super pumped to talk to Zach Brown today. Zach, what's up, man? Coming from Cartersville, Georgia. Uh, man, it's great to talk to you, man. We have a, uh, some things in common, I think, that we're going to get into today. Uh, great to have you on the show, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, Shane. Thank you so much for having me, man. So you're out in Cartersville, Georgia. Um, how, often do you get, uh, the, how often do you have to say, no, I'm not Zach Brown from the Zach Brown Band? Let's just yeah. bring it up and just get it out there right now. Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, that's everyday life for me, man. Uh, when I was actually, when I was in high school, uh, he was just now coming up. So he was playing around the local bars around here. So no one, everybody knew his music, but really didn't know him, like knew what he looked like that much. Yes. I could actually go into Waffle House and flash my ID card and they would give me a free waffle, man. I, I swear <laughs> uh, oh, so boy. it added its advantages, but now they realize that I'm six foot five and skinny and he's, you know, <laughs> five foot 11 and a little uh, stout. Uh, yeah. I can't get the waffles anymore, but. That's funny, man. Some, some waffles and chicken, man. You get the chicken on the waffles too? That's a Southern thing, right? Yeah, it is, but that's not me. <laughs> that's, that's more like Atlanta. I think Roscoe's or something like that. I've, I've heard of Roscoe's, and I probably just saw it on movies or, I don't know, TV, heard someone talking about it. I've never technically had the chicken and waffles myself. Uh, not to say that I wouldn't, but I don't know. Is it any good or? I haven't had it personally. I hadn't been yeah. to Roscoe's. I think it's a more high dining. I haven't experienced that yet. For that high dining for rappers, I, I don't. I don't have that. That's funny, man. Um, so, uh, so is real, real quick too. You said lo on the local scene for Zach Brown, the musician. Is he from Georgia too? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, wow. yeah, he's from the. Uh, I don't know exactly, but I know he's from uh, uh, South Georgia. So he's, yeah, he's, he's very about a one uh, one hour radius around here somewhere. Wow. Um, all right. Well, country music stuff where I'm loving it. So let, let's, uh, I figure we should get this out of the way too, real quick, Zach. Um, yeah. you and I share the same sponsor, buddy. C. buddy's been on the show. Uh, buddy actually connected us. Um, two things. I think it's great. Um, how God connects people when we're open to that. I think this is a great example of that. You, uh, myself, buddy, all putting ourselves out there and just trying to do what God has, you know, the next right thing lined up for us. And we end up meeting people, creating relationships um, and getting to, to do some cool things in life. Um, that's number one. Number two, man, buddy's such a great dude. And I think it's, I think it's really cool that, uh, you know, you and I both get to work with him, man. And, and from my understanding, you were actually his first sponsee that he started working with. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I started uh, right when I walked into AA, uh, buddy was, uh, uh, the first guy, I actually, it was my second meeting. He sat down next to me and uh, he, he knew that I was, after the meeting, he came up to me because he knew I was a newcomer and he handed me a big book. Hmm. Uh, he bought me a big book and he handed me his card and he said, you know, call me if 
you you need to drink if you feel like you're about to drink. And uh, I kind of stuffed his card away and uh, ignored him because I, I didn't think he was that. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think he was that sponsor that I needed. He yeah. was as uh, hip as I was looking for, I guess. Yeah. I was looking for a younger guy. Uh, you know, I'm 29, so I, at the time I was 23. So I was looking for someone a little younger, a little cooler, a little, you know, somebody that I could relate to cussing-wise. So I found the first guy that was, like, cussing over there in the corner about his <laughs> Yeah, I can relate to that guy. I need him to be my sponsor. Yeah. That was a, that was a disaster. And after that uh, that first couple of weeks with that guy, of him not responding to me, and, and it was just terrible. I, I finally saw Buddy, like, in a meeting, and I was just, like, down. And I was like, man, will you be my sponsor? <laughs> and he said <laughs> – and he said, yeah, and we've been off uh, to the races ever since, man. He was the only person that should have been my sponsor in the first place. So, Yeah, it's funny, man, how that works. It, it almost, uh, you know, it almost happens. I, you know, I guess the first thing I think of is by accident. And at the same time, I, I don't believe anything happens by accident. So, um, you know, God kind of gives us what we need uh, when, when we need it. Um, and, you know, I, uh, uh, how important has that sponsor you know, uh, has buddy, obviously we know buddy, so I can't say that sponsor, but a sponsor, um, you know, Ben for you in, uh, when you first kind of started working together in, in early recovery, how, like how important, how big has that been, uh, for, for you and your recovery, Zach? Oh man, that that was huge. Uh, the only reason I'm I'm still sober today is because I got a sponsor. If I would have not made that step, that's not like me. Like I don't like uh, reaching out to people for, for yeah. help and stuff like that. So it was a God thing that made me submit to uh, uh, someone else and actually commit to, to meeting up with them. Uh, and that guidance in the early stages of sobriety was key because, again, uh, I, um, I, so I started drinking when I was 12 years old, uh, wow. alcoholically. Like, I mean, it wasn't just like, you know, here or there. I started really drinking when I was 12. And so, and I sobered up at 23, but as Buddy tells me all the time, I'm 12 still. Right. Right. There was no yeah. growing in those years, hardly. Like, yeah. so I'm still a child. Uh, so anything that I think I know, it can be wiped clean because I don't know anything. Uh, so I needed his help so much from the beginning, just kind of walking me to, to walk me through the steps. And because yeah. even, even uh, uh, you know, from an educational standpoint, uh, I wasn't the smartest. And so I didn't pick up a book ever. So making me read a book, man, you were going to have to walk me through it and read word yeah. for word with me or I wouldn't have done it. Uh, but I, I tell people all the time that one book has opened up hundreds of new books for me. I literally mm. cannot quit reading after that one book. And, yeah. uh, and that, that's, that's been a blessing in itself. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, that's, that's, uh, that's great. Like one, one thing leads to another, like I was saying earlier, kind of when you open yourself up, you never know what's going to come next. And I think that's for me, that, that brings a lot of excitement each day when I wake up, <laughs> I used to wake up, um, either, pissed off or some days I just uh, remember wishing that I wouldn't wake up the next day. And, and, you know, once I, once I kind of opened my heart and my mind up to some new things, man, that, that's completely different today. Thank God. But um, before, uh, before we move on from buddy and I know he hates this crap, but man, we just appreciate, we appreciate you, man. Um, you know, I, I know for me um, having a sponsor, having buddy in my life has been a, a huge, um, you know, a huge bonus, a huge learning experience that continues to go on, man. So I just, uh, I appreciate that. And I just want to throw that out there. Um, let's kind of, let's kind of jump back then, Zach. Let's, um, I mean, maybe you can share a little bit what, what your life was like. I know you said you started at 12. Um, take us through some of that, what your life was like before you uh, quit at 23. Yeah. So I, I grew up, um, born and raised in Georgia. Like I said, it's a small town. It's a nice town. 
parents divorced uh, when I was about two years old. Uh, so I entered a, you know, broken home right from the get go. And my mom, my mom and uh, step, uh, my mom remarried quickly and my dad remarried quickly. And they, they remarried uh, very good people. My mom's still married to the, uh, my stepdad and my dad is divorced right now for the third time. But growing up, my childhood wasn't nothing to like frown at people, you know, uh, definitely had a lot of people had it worse off than I did. Uh, but come 12 years old, uh, I just got in this, in a, a crowd. I had some new friends come to town, uh, that, that moved from out of town and lived in my neighborhood. I went to go play some, you know, football in the front yard. We realized we liked the same football team. Um, and you know, we just started hanging out more often. And, uh, that led to me spending the night at their house. Uh, their parents were a little more lenient. Um, and, uh, they, you know, were breaking out the, the Budweiser's and the drinking and, and kind of partying in the backyard and let the kids do, you know, whatever they like, really. I mean, uh, and you know, I got handed my first beer uh, at the age of 12 and I fell in love. Uh, like, uh, I literally, I drink, I remember I drank two Budweiser's and I was inside of the house. And the next thing, you know, I teleported outside into the pool <laughs> and I wake up, I'm in the pool. And I was like, <laughs> even that night I threw up, I remember throwing up in, in my Bir Birkenstocks at the end of that night back when Birkenstocks were a thing. And uh, <laughs> I woke up head pounding, uh, body aching, but I was like, I want to do that again. That was awesome. So uh, from the get go, I, I love drinking, man. And uh, from that moment on, I dedicated my rest of my you know, adolescence of trying to figure out how I could drink more. Yeah. Um, and what was that week next week? And how am I going to plan to get enough money for booze, enough money to last me for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or whatever that is. And uh, Back uh, when I was drinking heavy, we, we still didn't, we couldn't buy alcohol on Sunday. So you had to get up enough money Saturday night to, so, to last you till Sunday. So, <laughs> man, all these things that a, a 14 to 15 year old should not be thinking about. Yeah. Uh, I was wrapped up in and obsessed with and it's, it. It stinks looking back at it, the wasted years. But again, you know, you hear the old cliche, you got to go through it to get to it. And uh, I think that was just part of my story. Yeah. yeah, that's good, man. Uh, it, it's funny, too, how many stories I've heard. We used to recall them the, the red and whites out here, the Budweiser's. Oh, you're drinking the red and whites, man. Man, how many headache stories I've heard from the red and whites, you know what I mean? The, the classic Budweiser, man. That's like the headache of all beers for some reason, I think, especially at 13 or 14, probably. I, well, natural, <laughs> natural, natural ice and uh, four locos have they, they take the cake on oh, headaches. Yeah. I've had some rough headaches Dude. on four locos, but uh, that was the end of my ending. I was drinking a lot of four locos because they they just got me drunker a lot quicker yeah. uh, for some reason, and I would just hammer those when my wife was at work. Um, and uh, and they're cheap too. They were like ninety nine yeah, cents, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then I hear like people from colleges are dying off of them because they're mixing too many of them. Really? Yeah. Well, that was years ago, but I don't know. If yeah. Case, but oh I heard wow! Campuses where they would just mix like too many at one time and just get get toasted, man. And uh, some of them wouldn't wake up from their uh, from their drunk. Yeah. Um, do you think that like we well, said that everything was pretty pretty normal and pretty good for the most part growing up? Um, so are you kind of saying that you really just love the feeling of of just being able to kind of escape and just be high and 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 feel that feeling of release when the first time you drank um there wasn't really any necessarily anything that you were trying to run from it was just more or less like damn this feels great and i just kind of going to keep keep on keeping on yeah I th I, man Shane, i really believe in this thing is a disease and and uh, what the book says uh it's a you know that allergic reaction that takes place and i just think it took place in me and uh um, it wasn't really nothing that my situation was worth drinking over because, like I said, I, my dad was at that point, he was a, a decent dad. 
Uh, today, that's not the point. Uh, addiction has fully uh, took a hold of him. Um, but at the time growing up, he was fine. And my mother was fine. And I was, you know, athletic and um, I had friends and I just had all this stuff. But yeah, you're, you're right on. I mean, it was just a feeling, man, that feeling yeah. that uh, I think some people personality types, I've, I've been reading a lot on personality types recently. And I just think mine is so specific where no wonder I drank because I couldn't fully feel like I was myself unless I drank because I, I just wasn't open and like I could dive into a whole nother realm of the world. And it was just a cool experience. And, yeah. and that was it, you know, until the, you know, it wasn't cool anymore, obviously. And then the, when you actually grow out of that and you grow into the real world of, of, you know, DUIs and, and jail cells and, and stuff mm -hmm. like that and testing out other, you know, drugs, you know, once it skips to that level, then you start being more concerned. And, yeah. uh, but yeah, I think it was just simply, I, I love the party, man. And I love to drink, but, uh, I just love the feeling. You, you mentioned too, um, we just mentioned your dad and then also in the intro when, uh, in your bio, you mentioned your grandfather. So yeah, it obviously has, um, has played a role within your family. Like many of us out there, I'm, I'm in the same, same boat, definitely played a role in my family. And I think a lot of other people listening can probably share that same, um, similarity. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Like, you know, have you, have you, have you looked a lot into that? Do you have any certain, um, you know, opinions or, or thoughts on the disease aspect and how that's kind of, you know, you woke up one day and, and, you know, you ended up getting drunk that day and you like the feeling, but really there's, there is some more to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My grandfather, uh, he's, uh, 26 this year, he'll be 26 years sober. And, uh, my father's an alcoholic. Uh, my mother's father, uh, died of cirrhosis of the rib, uh, the liver, uh, about uh, 15 years ago. Uh, so it's written, my mother is, uh, she, her drug of choice is pain pills. So it's within the family. And I, I, I haven't done the scientific research myself. Uh, it's one of those things. Once I recovered, um, it, that side of it really didn't interest me. Now that I have kids, it, it kind of interests me <laughs> I am too. because, uh, man, I'm, I'm scared to death that it, that I might pass that trade along to them. Um, but I, I don't know. Um, it's just one of those things. It's the one day at a time. It, it, I try not to worry too much about the future, about tomorrow. Mm. Um, and because if I do, I'll let my mind run rabbit and just make create illusions of fear. Yeah. And uh, so, no, no I, it, right now, no, I hadn't dug too far deep into that. I think, uh, I think one of the things that we got going for us, though, like with regard to the kids, um, man, is that kids – and I'm, I'm continuing to learn this. So I have a four-year-old and an eight-year-old and uh, I know you have three, three boys, right? Three boys. Yeah. Three boys. Um, so I'm noticing that kids, you know, they react and they learn so much more from watching rather than being told. And so the one thing I know I'm so proud of is like, yeah, I, you know, and I've thought about that, what you're saying, like, man, I don't want to pass that down to them. You know, and that's something that's kind of out of, out of my control. But what I am proud of is the fact that they're never going to see me drink. They're never going to see me, um, you know, growing up in the environment that I grew up in watching. You know what I mean? And so maybe at least in that aspect, I think it gives, gives me a little bit, of, uh, little bit of relief and a little bit of hope that, and they're, gonna, they're, they're human beings. They're their own people. They're going to do whatever they want to do, right, at the end of the day. But um, it does give me a little, a little sense of peace in knowing that, man, that, you don't ever have to see that, you know? Yeah, no, I definitely, the opportunities uh, were a lot more um, close to home with my father. You know, he, he would allow me to drink 
if I stayed home on the weekends, you know, and having that kind of guidance, uh, even though he really didn't think he was doing anything that wrong. And it didn't really look like that having a couple beers as a teenager or something like that on the weekend with your dad, it doesn't yeah. look that wrong. Cause everyone else around you is doing it right. Like all your friends are drinking on the weekends. Um, but when I reached the point where actually I was drinking on the weekdays and as a high schooler, um, yeah. by myself in my room with a little jack, a little bottle of whiskey, like, just for just to get that feeling for that night, it, I knew that something was up. But again, you're mm. right. Like that whole just your, your kids are watching your every move. You know, mm. I realize that more and more every day. I know yours are older. Mine, my oldest are twins that are three. And still that I can, you know, if I say something or something slips and they repeat it, I'm like, I had no mm. idea you were even to listen to me. Like I, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to have a personal yeah. conversation with my wife and they're listening the whole time. And I'm oh, like, yeah. wow. I was like, you know that. So that, that is, that is important, man. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I agree. Like they won't ever see me. Hope by the grace of God, they'll never see me drinking. All they'll see is hopefully a lot better example than what I had growing up. Yeah, totally, man. Uh, it's funny. I I just was reminded reminded of something too. And th- this actually just happened last night. We were sitting. We were watching a movie, and and this incident actually happened. Gosh, probably like like six or seven months ago. And my son brought it up last night out of anything. And and what happened was we were riding bikes. Um, there's a little town square right by our house and I'll, you know, him and I will go over there and we'll cruise around. He's got a little BMX bike and he's got his help, you know, his helmet and stuff. And he's going down this hill and, and I, I happened to just film it on this one. And I said, oh, I'm going to film it. So I film it and he's going down this little hill. And as he's about halfway down, he goes, dad, I'm going to do it without looking. And I'm like, okay. And it kind of didn't register. Right. So I'm filming him and I'm like rolling, rolling, rolling. And I notice at like the last second that he's like got his head looking this way. He's not watching where he's going, right? And he's and he goes head on into this rock, this big old rock, right? Mm-hmm. Flying over the handlebars, right, right down on his on his face. You know, he luckily he had the face mask uh, helmet on. And on the video, I said, "Oh shit!" And I I I screamed it because I was like, "Oh my god! Like what just happened?" You know, I ran over there. And so last night we're sitting there, and and he goes oh shit. <laughs> and I said, I said, what, what'd you just say, bud? And he goes, well, well, remember you said it when, yeah. when I crashed and I went, wow, this dude remembered that from seven months ago. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So I, that just kind of came up from just re- maybe remember that in that, in that thing. But, um, yeah, dude, they, they're sponges and they soak, soak everything up. So, um, everything. um, well dude, let's, uh, let, so back, back to you now, of course, yeah. um, you're, you know, so you're going through high school, you're, you're drinking a lot, you're, um, you know, you're, you're kind of uh, doing your thing, I guess, and monkey see, monkey do, doing that kind of stuff. When you get to, uh, you know, the tail end, maybe that last year, what was that like? And then what was the final moment that brought you back and, and, and where you said like, man, I can't do this anymore. I got to get some help. Yeah. Yeah. So in high school, going through high school, uh, I continued to drink. Uh, uh, and so I finally ended up graduating by the grace of God. Uh, and uh, so I didn't have any college. You know, I, through high school, like I, my, you know, uh, the athletic I talked about faded away because I didn't want to show up for practice. I wanted to go to hang out with girls or do this or that. So all that was irrelevant anymore. What any hopes I had for college scholarships were gone. Um, I, and uh, so once I graduated, I obviously just wanted to go into the working field and make money to drink. Uh, and um, I did. I, for a year, I, I went in. I got my first DUI right out of high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, lost my license, uh, and then the real world hit right there. I'm like, man. But uh, 
you, th- you think like something like that extreme would, you know, I didn't even fight it. You know, I got pulled over by a cop. I almost wanted to, I, I tell, looking back at it, I wanted to get arrested. Like I wanted to be that, I wanted that kind of a uh, street cred, if you will. And it's a stupid thing to want, but for some reason I wanted to get arrested. So I was excited actually after I got arrested. I wasn't too excited when I, I lost my license for a year. Uh, but again, when you drink, like, what does that matter? Like you, you go driving if you want to, like you're really not care. You don't care. So, uh, so I had that year of, uh, just making money randomly and enough to drink on and party with through that, through that year. And, uh, ended up getting arrested again, uh, for, uh, drinking underage drinking. And, uh, I remember <laughs> the judge called me like a small town again. Right. <laughs> uh, three days after I was arrested I was let out and I went to bar that night. It was like St. Uh, Patrick's Day or somewhere around St. Patrick's Day. And he called me. He heard you got arrested again. And I said, yes, sir. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I was uh, just drinking with some buddies. I shouldn't have been in there. It's not going to happen again. I apologize. And he said, well, come on in. Uh, come on into the courthouse uh, later on. Uh, I want to talk to you for a little bit. So I did. I went in. And he said, well, I'm going um, to give you 30 days in jail for probation violation. Mm. I'm like, 30 days in jail? I was like, that's in there for like adults he's like, <laughs> he's like well you're 19 son i was like golly i was like i don't think i want you know that kind of so i went to i had to check into jail that night and uh man you talking about humiliating man when that, that check-in process of actually checking you into jail to stay and it is uh it's one of the darkest moments i've ever had just mm-hmm. stripping you completely naked uh, putting the de-licing, you know, um, stuff on you to make sure you're de-liced, all your hair is de-liced and making you bend over and cough, make sure you're not bringing anything up your anal. And I'm like, man, this is, this is as rough as it gets right here. Like humiliating wise. I, I mean, I'm all, I, when I'm drinking, I'm up here, I'm on cloud nine. I'm the man. This yeah. is, is far away from that feeling as I've ever been. And, uh, especially when those, I walked in that jail cell with, you know, 20 other people in my pod and those doors just, and they closed i was like wow um so that uh hit that that metal bed and grabbed that little scratchy blanket and just kind of pushed my head underneath it and i tried my best to hold back tears so anybody wouldn't see me cry but man i was hurting inside yeah. uh because I, I i did not want to be in this situation i knew like I knew I had so much, you know, growing up, like between athletics and friends and just, you know, good mom and stuff like that. I was like, why did I have to throw it away? How did I end up here? And my friends are in college right now and I'm sitting in a jail cell. Yeah. And, um, and that was, uh, that was reality, a hit, a reality hit. Um, how old were you? you? You were 23 at that time? Or no, 22? no, no. I'm only 19 at this point. This is, oh, like, yeah, okay. I'm wow. only 19 at this point. And, uh, so the 30 days, uh, go by and in that 30 days, I'm, I'm reading the Bible, right? Just like any good convict would, right? You know, you, you're in jail, you got to read the Bible because you're a changed man. So I, I'm flipping through, you know, Genesis and I'm like, oh, yes, yes, this God is speaking to me. And I'm going to change my life, Lord. And, uh, and they called me on like a couple of days early. They said, Brown, uh, come out, come, you know, come down here. And they, they start checking me in. I'm like, what's going on here? Uh, and they're like, well, you're going to go today. I'm like, well, I'm, it's a little early, isn't it? Like, well, you, just, you get you know, early release as long as you're in good behavior. And they're like, do you have a ride? I was like, absolutely. And I didn't have a ride, but I knew my buddy, <laughs> my buddy lived a mile away. And I just, as soon as those doors hit, I, I ran to my buddy's house. Yeah. And I left that Bible right behind me. And I cranked over his refrigerator, grabbed that first beer, and just wow. it was off to the races right then. And uh, it went shortly after 
and, and smaller jail time. And uh, I mean, it's, I, I can romanticize, you know, what happened between. Hey Zach, 20, I'm getting, I'm getting a, I'm getting and, a bad, you know, I'm getting a bad connection with you real quick. Hold on one sec, man. Let me, uh, all right, let me see if it's back up real quick here. Yeah, I got a couple dropouts there from you. Just a second. Um, okay, so it kind of it kind of jumped out where you said that the doors open and you ran you ran over to your buddy's house and you first thing you did was kind of crack a beer. So pick up from right yeah. there. Yeah. So I uh, ran to my buddy's house and the first thing I did was open his fridge and grab grab a beer. And he was in the shower and he's like, "Who is it?" And I was like, "It's Zach." He's like, "Oh, you're out." And I said, like, "Yeah." And he's like, well, there's a beer in the fridge. And uh, I said, all right, got it. And uh, it was off of the radio. I was at the bar that night. Uh, actually mm-hmm. saw some of the jail jailers in the bar who were off duty having a beer drink. And they literally was like, didn't we just see you last week in jail? And <laughs> so that's, again, small town. And uh, yeah. so, man, I can romanticize, I guess. You know, I went on to, you know, have two more arrests, uh, two two more DUIs. I love drinking. I love getting mm-hmm. behind the wheel. And that's a bad combination, I know. And I, I, I thank God that I that I haven't took my own life or anyone else's in that process. Because yeah. I know those horror stories. I have friend, friends that are part of those horror stories. And, uh, but, um, you know, it just was a constant uh, revolving door for the, from between, you know, the, that last arrest to my, to my final bottom of me submitting and saying no. Uh, it was just, you know drink while your wife's at work. Cause I, I worked, I had a, I started an online business. Um, uh, and, uh, so I worked from home for the most part. Yeah. Uh, so I was able to drink all day as soon as she left and then hide that, you know, the, the real alcohol, the little bottles of rum, airplane bottles of rum that I was drinking and the four locos. And, <laughs> and when she got home, I'd crack open a, a yingling, a nice, uh, yingling at, like I just am having my first beer from a long day of work. Like the stuff that I thought about to try to do to hide my alcoholism was ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, That's funny. And, uh, but yeah, I, I, um, when I was, uh, I remember I went out, you know, my wife, thank God she stuck with me through, uh, through all this, you know, cause I, I met her, um, I met her in middle school. We dated in middle school, actually. And then we went to different high schools. Uh, and I met her at a party the day after her graduation. And, uh, and that was, uh, when I was right around 19, I, I didn't have a license at the time. And, uh, she was my girlfriend and she was, she, uh, she went to college to, uh, up to DC. I tried to go to college at some dry County and literally a dry County in Cleveland, Georgia. And that didn't work out. <laughs> and, um, but she stuck with me through all this and, uh, she's been, she's been my rock for sure. Uh, because I don't know, uh, you know, as you're drinking, you don't want to hang out with, with good people. And she was one of those good people. Cause I just felt bad. I just felt yeah. like miserable person. Like I, like you don't deserve, I don't deserve to, you know, be with you. I don't deserve to be hanging out with you in this state. So I'm going to leave you on the weekends or, or wherever that was. And I made a lot of excuses and a lot of plans with people on the weekends and left her, you know, home alone or doing something with, uh, her family and, and, you know, they're making plans and I'm making other plans because their plans don't align with my plans as an alcoholic. And, um, so it, it finally, you know, to get to, you know, kind of the bottom of it, I, um, I was going to uh, out with another night. It was just like a Thursday night or no, it was a Saturday night. And, uh, me and my buddies went out to a, uh, um, a bar in Atlanta and stayed up all night drinking. Uh, I, you know, got home around 3 AM, had to crawl through the window cause I couldn't find my keys. 
um, you know, woke up that Sunday morning, uh, you know, reaching over to see if my wife was in bed. She wasn't. Uh, well, my girlfriend at the time, she wasn't. And, uh, you know, I had several missed phone calls from her. Uh, so I finally, she called me back again. It was like 11 o'clock. I'm still hungover. And uh, she, uh, she's just crying. And I'm like, what, what are you crying about? She's like, I'm just, she's like, I'm just exhausted. She's like, I, I can't, um, I don't know what to do with you anymore. She's like, uh, you just miss my, my wife was at the time. She's her and her family. Uh, she, she was, I don't know if you know, CrossFit games or CrossFit. Oh. My wife, uh, her sister and five others, they won the CrossFit. They've been to the CrossFit games three times and they got oh, third nice. place one year. So That's it was awesome. in the middle of that season. So it was very important to her. Yeah. And I'm, I'm usually always there to support her. And I missed that open workout that she had that morning. And what, doesn't seem like a big big deal was a big deal for her and I missed several of these things in the past and it just keeps loading up on her and finally she just had enough and, and at the same time I was like I was looking for something to say to her and I didn't have anything else I like I was at that point where I was just emotionally drained like I could not lie one more time nor did I want to at that moment I did not want to lie anymore um, I didn't want to be that person anymore and uh, so when she got home uh, I, I openly, you know, said, I think I have a drinking problem. Uh, and as weird, you know, as obvious as that is, that's a big deal for an alcoholic, right? When you say it out loud, oh, yeah. especially to someone you love, no matter what, you know, everyone probably knows that you have a problem. But when you say it verbally uh, out loud, that's a yeah. whole nother level of like, there's a lot okay. of power in it. It's so yeah. much power, man, yeah. because I mean, in anything, and that's why I believe in the whole, you know, step four and doing that inventory and getting whatever's on your mind out there. Cause you let it pull up here, then it just continues to create chaos and uh, getting it out there. Just, I, you know, I, I really regretted it <laughs> at first because <laughs> I was like, now, now, you know, I know I'm going to regret it uh, in a couple of days when I sober up and I want to drink again. And I did, I did. I wanted to drink again, but that relationship with her and her knowing that I was an alcoholic and knowing I really wanted help deep down, she stuck with me and she, she created distractions for me. Um, she, she took me out to do things and just random things. And, uh, uh, just to, to make it unique and to change the scene up for me. Uh, cause I didn't know what exactly it was that I was looking for. I, I really didn't know about AA. I knew my grandfather was in something, but I didn't know what that was. Mm. Um, and, uh, I just, I knew he was sober. I knew he was clean. I knew he had a past, uh, but I really did. I thought whatever he was into was for 70 plus year old men. And that was it. Like I didn't, I had no idea it was open for me. Yeah. So, uh, it was a lot of white knuckling in the beginning about the first, uh, about the first 30 days was white knuckling for me. And, uh, I remember reaching a point where, uh, her father, my father-in-law, who was a huge mentor for me, um, just not an alcoholic, nor does he know really what the alcohol it is until now. Yeah. He's, he told her, you know, don't, you know, she came home to me and she said, my dad said, not to worry. Uh, you'll be able to drink again. And huh. man, that, that window of opportunity was like, wow. if I don't, if I don't do something right now, I'm going to drink because that was the opportunity I've been waiting on for 30 days. Yeah. Like if I do not call myself out again, like I did verbally to someone else, obviously that needs to understand this more, that can understand this fully. 
then I am going to be in trouble. Well, and that, and that for him was probably coming from a place of love of just trying to support you, right? Letting you know, hey, it's going to be okay. Not understanding the full scope of like what um, alcoholism is and how deep it really dwells within, you know, someone's, someone's spirit or heart or bind or whatever. Um, so in other words, you're like, oh man, like, great. I, somebody just approved of me going. So like, that's kind of what you're saying, right? Like you, Dave, I got to check myself real, real quick here. I got to, yeah, I got to get someone. So that's when I, like wow. I said, I, I was going to the, like, to the point where, okay, well, let's just go drink. And yeah. I went to the, go to the liquor store and I was like, man, I got to get this one more try. I got to call myself out again because something's telling me that this is like, whatever happened the past 30 days has not changed. Like I'm not going to be, I'm still going to just pick up right back where I left off. And uh, so I pulled into that clubhouse and I, that I picked up 20 bucks from my grandfather, <laughs> 20 bucks from my grandfather from many times that parking lot. I pulled in that parking lot instead of waiting in the car and for him to give me 20 bucks to go on. I, I got out of the car oh, wow. and went to that 12 o'clock meeting and I sat in the back and they got a church pew in the back and the rest, they have like tables around and I sat in the back away from everyone. Cause I wasn't sh- fully sure. I, d- I didn't want them to rub off on anything on me. <laughs> and uh, yeah. man, I looked, they, they said, you know, in the beginning they kind of made a note or, or they made an announcement and said, if, if this is anyone's first meeting and if you don't mind, do you please just feel like introducing yourself by your first name? And uh, I said, Hey, I'm Zach. I'm, I'm new here. I'm just, just here to listen. And uh, that triggered them to do a first step meeting uh, for the newcomer. And, uh, they went around the table, man. And they had, there were men there, there were women there. Uh, they were fat, they were skinny, they were black, they were white, they were young, they were old. And they all told a little bit of my story that day. And when I got all the way around, I knew that I was an alcoholic for sure. And I knew that I had a problem and they, and I did not have the solution, but the solution, I've never felt so much hope than I did in that, that meeting right there. And that's what brought me back uh, for my second meeting. And that's what introduced me to Buddy. And that's what introduced me to this whole walk. And uh, hmm. man, I, I'm, uh, I'm one of those who, thank God I'm all in or nothing because yeah. I had to be all into this thing. Uh, I can't just teeter around it and test it out for 90 days, go to 90 meetings in 90 days and just, I have to like, you have to change me quickly or I'm gonna, hmm. uh, something's gonna happen. Uh, so I was begging Buddy to, to, let's jump into this thing. Let's do it, take me through the steps, you know. And, I wanted to go through all 12 in one day, <laughs> but it, it, we, had to, we had to drag that out a little bit uh, for my own reasons. And, uh, but now, you know, I, I work the steps often. I meet with Buddy still after almost, you know, I sobered up March 10th, uh, 2013. So this coming March will be six years. So I've been with nice. Buddy over five and a half years. And um, I've had sponsees myself. And, uh, man, it's just this whole walk of life. Like, it's, there's nothing like it. Yeah. There's nothing like it. And I try to explain to people all the time that, uh, cause a lot of people, my friends, they, they see the change, uh, the dramatic change and they message me all the time wanting to know what it was. Um, and, and, uh, some of them aren't alcoholics, you know, some of them yeah. just got tough, not, you know, tough knocks in life. And they, they want, yeah. they think that I have some kind of answer for them. Um, in reality, like it's just God worked through me through AA for me. Like, yeah. uh, that doesn't mean it has to be your story. God will, just listen to God. That's that. That's that's point A. Make some time yeah. for God, and then he'll he'll lead you wherever you need. He, he thank God he led me to AA because he knew that my submission was the only way that I was yeah. going to be able to come out of that. So so let's uh let's let's dive into that a little bit actually because I I feel like you have um uh s- something really 
really powerful to offer in your own experience with two words, with acceptance and then surrender. Um, I know those are two huge things and I, I get a lot of emails about this, about just kind of like you said, well, you know, what, what should I do or what can I do? Well, I don't have all the answers. You know what I mean? You don't have all the answers. The answer comes from within, but I feel like, and I know from my own experience that acceptance and surrender were two of the the, the biggest things, especially early on. So I'm just kind of curious what your take on the, those two things are. Yeah, no, the, I always thought I had to change. I had to act like take action to change stuff. Yeah. Um, and that was where I was messing up because the more I took action to change stuff, the more I put my own will into stuff and the more things swirled out of control. Uh, because in the past, since I was 12, I was doing things the entire wrong way, entirely wrong way. And then when I sobered up, I continued to want to do those things the wrong way as a sober person, but it was causing more chaos and stress. So I had to, that serenity prayer in the beginning was so crucial to me. When I didn't know how to pray, I used that. And uh, I literally said that every day. And that's God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Hmm. Just pray for wisdom if you don't know anything else, because you might not know the difference right now and that's fine, but just pray for wisdom. And if if it's not meant for you to take a move or if it wasn't meant for me to make a move at that moment, I would walk away from it. And that was something I'm never used to doing is just walking away from a situation. uh, When I thought that my, my whatever would change, change it for the better. Hmm. Some things are just better to left as they are. I had to learn that with my father. I had to learn that with my mother is I'm not going to change these people. Um, I can be there for them when they're ready. Uh, but the, the best thing I can do is continue to spiritually feed myself. And so they can, so I'm prepared when they're ready. Yeah. So, but no acceptance and surrender. Um, yeah, they're probably the two biggest words that pop out in my recovery for sure. Yeah. I, I'm loving the, you know, the relationship aspect of that too, regardless of who it is, is it, you know, for me, friends, uh, family, my, my father, um, you know, other, other people that I, that I know, um, we want the best for those people. We love those people. Like we, we know through our own experience that change is possible, um, through God, through a program, through working with other people, community, all all that stuff. And it's like, we want to, we want to give that to them. We want to show them somebody, but at the same time, it's not, it's not my job to do that. And I can't force something on them until, um, or not until at all, but like you said, they, they have to be ready for that. And so I love that you said, like, my job is to be as spiritually fit and ready for when they are ready. And I think they're just in you saying that even it kind of triggered something to me to give me a little bit of peace for those people out there that are still out there struggling and going through it. God's got his own plan for those people. But my, you know, my job is to continue on to do the best I can do for myself and, and be ready for them, dude. So thank you for saying that, man. That's really, really cool stuff right there. And it, it does give me a little peace and hopefully someone else out there listening who might be, you know, have a family member or a friend who's struggling and they want to help, but they're, they're just un, unhelpable at this time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Zach, so you, so you end up going into the program. Um, let's fast forward now and, and we'll, we'll, we'll hit these two parts. Um, 
you know, kind of back to back. One, what is life like today? What's your recovery program look like? And then, man, let's talk about the work that you're about to do. You're taking your family all the way out to Liberia to work in an orphanage, and which is just amazing and crazy at the same time. Um, so let's touch on both of those, but let's start with where your recovery's at today and what that kind of looks like. Yeah, so when I sobered up, I, uh, I actually, after a year, I started uh, thinking a little clearly. And I was like, why haven't I proposed to this, uh, this beautiful woman that's decided stuck with me yet? So uh, first I proposed to my wife and it wasn't long after that, that we had twins. Uh, and, uh, then what long after that we had another boy. And, uh, so all these changes are happening in my recovery process. And if you know, uh, that, uh, it's tough to, to do anything with children. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> yes. I mean, I remember I was, uh, it was a Sunday, uh, it was a Sunday afternoon and my wife was laying on the bed and she was pregnant. She was seven months pregnant. And I was just sitting there talking to her and I was like, man, I cannot wait until I'm never bored again. Because I, I was just bored at that moment, you know, I didn't have anything to do. And I regret those words. I eat those words every day because now like every second is accounted for in my oh, life. Yeah. Um, so recovery for me now, I got an early, I got into it early. Uh, buddy threw me into service work. So it, it was little things like uh, making the coffee uh, and showing up to this many meetings at, uh, at my noon spot, my home group, becoming a home group member. Because if you're not a member of a home group, you're homeless. That's what we say at our group. <laughs> I like uh, that. So yeah. uh, uh, I had to be a member and that just gives you again, like, you know how I said to my wife, I'm an alcoholic. Um, I, I made that claim, you know, and making my home group, my home group just making a claim saying, okay, this is my home group. I got to keep it. I have to keep it clean, you know, with these yeah. people. Yeah. Uh, so it, it brought me another part of unity that I needed. Uh, I became a GSR uh, shortly after that for the home group. Uh, so go to the GSR meetings. Uh, and, and I don't know if, you know, a lot of uh, AA lingo is, is, uh, people relate to it, but GSR is just a general service representative. Uh, you know, the AA is kind of like flipped upside down, the pyramid upside down, right? The, yeah. the, the more power you have, the less you have, <laughs> or the more you think, <laughs> or, uh, more authority yeah. you think you have, the less you have. So yeah. uh, it's all about service and, and AA. So uh, I just jumped in and just was, uh, was willing and available for, for younger kids that came in were kind of drawn to me just cause I was, there's not many young people in, yeah. in this, uh, in the program at all. Uh, once they come in, they, they, you know, spill their guts and then they, they walk out and they never come back. And, <laughs> but, um, it's um, like a, like a free therapy session real quick. Yeah, I did it too. I did. <laughs> someone, uh, so I think it was, uh, I think it was, um, uh, Dave from the dopey podcast. He made a post on Instagram the other day and it said something about, um, someone please slap me, uh, if someone else shares for another hour long in a meeting and I'm like, God, amen to that. Like, you know, but Hey, it's part of it though. And so I think yeah. there's an example there. It, it helps me practice my patience, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I, I jumped into, uh, uh, service work early on and, uh, I still do that. So I, I go to, uh, meetings about three times a week in my hometown, uh, along with doing, you know, listen to podcasts, uh, and uh, I read the book often. Um, I had to stay in that book. And uh, as a reminder, just uh, as it led me back to the, it led me to the Bible in the first place. Uh, it, I got to continue to, to, to read it. So I'll know it. And so I can pass it on to the next person. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so a day to day process for me is uh, um, I knew I had to be, we talked about this earlier, being spiritually fit, fit doesn't necessarily mean being the best well-known at AA, right? You don't have to know the the point of being spiritually fit for me isn't knowing the big book backwards and forward. It's yeah. actually knowing my the my higher power is is growing that nurturing in that relationship. Yeah. Uh, often, every day, 
every second, honestly, is, is, is why I'm here to nurture that relationship with God. Um, so as a, again, as kid, when you have kids, uh, it was a struggle for me to kind of find that between work, um, and between being a dad and, uh, between just regular everyday stuff and going to AA meetings, like, how do you spiritually feed yourself in this situation? So I, I ended up having to start waking up. And I hated waking up. Uh, <laughs> I started waking up at 5 a.m. Uh, because it was the only, only time that my kids were asleep. And they usually wake up around 6.30 or 7. So I had an hour dedicated to feeding yeah. myself spiritually. And, man, it, when I made that change, that was such a, a game changer for me, man. Um, we're all morning people. I don't care who says they're not a morning person. Uh, like, this, it, biblically, if you're, biblically, if you're into the Bible, like, God chose many times at morning times where it's at. Like, yeah. and uh, it, it only took me a week to adjust to getting up. Now I just can't wait to get up. I call it coffee <laughs> with Jesus. And I, I get up. I have my, my, my coffee's already beepered. But, uh, I have it set. It's ready to roll. I light a candle. I'm sitting in the dark in this little solitude. And I just pretend I'm a monk for an hour, man. And I just, <laughs> that, that feeds me up. And that makes me a better person. Um, but I, so I have to have that. But along with that, man, I just have to be open and willing. I got to keep my head up. I can't yeah. be scrolling through social media all day, just judging people and stuff like that. I got to be open to what's around me so I can help people. And uh, yeah. that's the biggest, that's the biggest part of my program. Yeah, that's good, man. I love, I love that morning time. And it's funny when I don't get it, if I wake up late, which happens sometimes and the kids get up shortly after, uh, like, dang it, I missed the window right there. I need oh. to get, and it can really set my day on a whole different direction versus when I'm up for that hour beforehand and I got some time to have some coffee, read a little bit, just kind of get mentally prepared for the day. Um, I mean, you, you said it best, like being a father, being a husband, you know, um, being the worker, the worker guy that we got to be where I always equate it to, we're having to wear a lot of different hats and we got to switch that hat. Like, man, now I got to come through the door after a long day and I got to put my dad hat on. And sometimes it's really difficult to transition um, you know, into that, but you know, that, that's comes with practice, I think like anything. And I'm, I'm trying to get a little better at it each, each day, you know, and I sure as heck would not be able to do it if I was still drinking. So that's a good no, thing. No, there. No. I think about that all the time, man. Like being a father is the hardest thing I've ever it done is. in my life. And I could not imagine doing it as an alcohol, like active alcoholic. Yeah. Um, that just blows my mind how people can do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I can barely do it with, with doing it sober. <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm not alone in that. I just told my wife actually last night too, after the little incident with cash uh, uh, that we that I mentioned earlier. Um, I said, man, when when people told me that being a parent is the hardest job you'll ever have, they were damn straight on point right there because it, it and it's funny because it's the most rewarding. And I love it. I wouldn't change it for anything in the world. And at the same time, it's the most beautiful thing and the most challenging thing at the same time. Like my patients um, are, are, are constantly tested and I'm constantly having to learn how to get better at that. It's a, it's a trip, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah it's exhaustingly fun. I call it yeah. exhaustingly fun. Let's uh let's jump into this um into this Liberia uh mission that you're you and your whole family are going on, bro. This is uh it's amazing. I've said it like three times already. It's amazing and it's crazy at the same time. Uh, I think you even said that yourself. Um, let's I mean start by by telling us a little bit about it and how it came up, and then um you know where people can go to to find more information about it, and we'll put those links in the show notes here and how they can help you guys too. Yeah. No. Uh 
so I, I mentioned earlier that I, uh, I started an online fitness gear and apparel business uh, about seven years ago now. And as I was going through recovery and trying to manage this online business, I was finding out how unsuccessful it really was. <laughs> and uh, I, was, I, was, I put a bandaid on it long enough, but God, there is nothing impossible for him. I was, uh, man, praying for something. I was like, God, I don't know what it is that you want out of this or, or what I'm supposed to do, but I, I'm right now I feel like a failure and I don't know what to do. And uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't long uh, into my recovery that a, a manufacturer, a fitness equipment manufacturer in Atlanta approached me and wanted to buy my online uh, store because the, what they did is they, they created the, the barbells, the, the weights, the kettlebells, the physical side of things, and they wanted to complement it with my fitness gear and apparel, the weight belts, the, the, nice. the accessories. And uh, I, I, uh, I built up a huge following on uh, Facebook, and I had the online, the, the beautiful website, and the bells and whistles, and, and they wanted just to, to buy that. So I was like, Okay, and they offered me more than I could ever imagine for it, and wow. uh, they they hired me on as well to be the uh, to to uh, be the online uh, online marketer and all that. So with the acquisition, I, I got a job. Wow, that's uh, amazing, bro. Yeah, so I, I'm getting in this job, and uh, I'm I'm doing the the merger. I'm I'm kind of marketing uh, online for them. I'm I'm kind of adjusting to them, and I shortly realized that you know being not the owner anymore that it, I don't have much say so in anything anymore. Yeah. Uh, so I, I kind of got dry, dried out really quick. Uh, they, mm. they didn't have the same vision as I did. Uh, they really didn't, weren't motivated. They had other side jobs and they just had a lot of money to throw at something at the time, I guess. And yeah. uh, so I was like, I was starting to burn out there. I was, I had just had my twin boys. They were, uh, they had some uh, health issues early on. So they had six weeks, six weeks in the NICU in the hospital. Um, and uh, they thankfully came out of that fine. Uh, but after that, during this process, I'm, I'm dealing with hospital bills. I'm dealing with this uh, job that I do not like. I feel like I'm just just taking up time on this earth for no reason. And uh, a buddy of mine, Daryl Roberts, who's the founder of Orphan Aid Liberia, he, I worked out with him at a gym. And so he knew I was in the, the digital media business. And he said, hey, will you? Will you give me some, can I take you to some coffee someday? Can you give me some pointers on how to, you know, help my Facebook a little bit? Uh, so I went to, to coffee with him and, uh, you know, he wasn't doing anything on, on online. And I was just, just suddenly, I just uh, immediately, you know, oh yeah, I'll help you, man. I want to do yeah. this. This is cool. I fell in love with it. And uh, uh, I said, what you need though is content is king around here. You got to have pictures. You got to have, you, you're serving this many children in Liberia and you, yeah. you don't have, many like high resolution pictures of them and I was like well I don't have a camera you know he's just a he's just one of those guys that said yes to God and just yeah, he just, just used the crap it. out of them and That's uh cool. he said uh you know I have a trip coming up uh would you like to come with me and uh I was like yeah, but I have a job and I have twins, newly twin boys. So I doubt that's going to happen. And uh, <laughs> so I came home to my wife and I said, Daryl wants me to go on this trip with him. And she's like, that sounds like a great opportunity. Why don't you go, honey? I'm like, okay. Wow. Yeah. All right. All right. So uh, <laughs> I went to my job and I said, you know, to my bosses, I was like, Hey, you know, is there any way I can go on this trip? And they said, well, how long, how many days is it? I was like, well, it's a 13 day trip. I'm like, well, you have two weeks of vacation. Take them how you wish. And nice. I was like, 
I was like, all right. So it all added up that, that maybe I should jump on this trip. I was looking for a change of scenery and, and to yeah. kind of be revamped anyway. And boy, did I get it. I went over <laughs> there and uh, I've never been, I tell people all the time that I've been to two places, Alabama and, and Liberia now. <laughs> so I haven't been to many places <laughs> in my life, both a third world, but, yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but we, um, I got over there and uh, we pull up to the, the orphanage and, we get out of the car and these kids are lined up uh, on the dirt road. There's like 50 on one side and 50 on the other side of this dirt road. And we stop and we get out of the car and what they do, they want us to walk through them and they're celebrating that you're there and they're dancing and they're clapping and they're just all in tattered clothes. And they're, uh, mm. uh, they're just, just standing there and they're so happy though. And they're just so excited to see you. And uh, I mean, I just, I've never felt such pure, just joy, uh, just, excited to be where I was in that moment. It yeah. was a humbling experience to me to see that these people, like I just, I knew it existed. I knew poverty existed like this, but I was just so pulled away from it. I, I really didn't know the, the actual extent to it. So I spent that trip taking pictures and I've never took such beautiful pictures, not because I was an awesome photographer at that time. It's because these children are just naturally beautiful and you don't have to do much to them to make them be like, that's it. You just take pictures of them. It, that's as real as it gets right there. And uh, I fell in love with the, with the bit, with working and doing it. Yeah. And uh, I, I pulled Daryl aside. I said, Daryl, I think this is what I want to do. And hmm. I said, I, uh, you know, I don't know if it was for you or for someone else, but this, this feels good right here. And uh, I'm feel like I'm using my skill set as, as, as an assignment and uh, yeah. for, for the greater glory of God. And uh, he said, wow, man. He said, that's, that's deep. I said, I'm glad you feel that way. He said, that's awesome. Uh, well, you know, I got back and obviously, you know, I, I go home and I'm, I have all these thoughts pouring through my head. Um, but A, I got a job at home. And B, you know, I got family. I have to stay where I'm at. I don't, yeah. And, and uh, but I remember it wasn't short. It was a couple months after I got home from that trip and I'm trying to, you know, get back to the, the ordinary, everything's starting to take over. Liberia is kind of in the distance in my back of my head. I'm, I'm moved on to bills are starting to pile up again and back to work duties and projects and stuff. And I remember I get a phone call from my boss on a Friday and I usually work from home on Mondays and Fridays. And he said, will you come in today? And I said, yeah, sure. So I drive an hour and a half to my work huh. and I sit down with these guys <laughs> and they said, well, uh, we just want you to know that we sold the business and <laughs> your job is eliminated wow. and uh, along with everyone else's. And uh, we did, you know, it was a inside they, they, I could see it coming. I just didn't know it was going to happen so quickly. Yeah. Um, so I'm leaving that parking lot and, uh, and I, all, all I can think about is all the doubt and the fears and, and mm. the program was like, I didn't think about the program at all or, or God or all that positive stuff in that moment. And then it, then I did. And then it hit me. I'm like, what the heck are you so why why so little yeah. faith have you not seen all i have done i mean that's what i heard like yeah. god like have you not seen what i have done what are you worried about <laughs> what are you worried about mm -hmm. and uh i got home and uh I, you know i told my wife and she was i you know she was upset as well she she's like this is just you know crazy why would they do this to you and I don't know what God's doing, but we're we're just gonna we gotta have trust here. He's he's got us this far, man. He and he's mm. did it beautifully. He's done so much for us. And um and man, it wasn't a week later, uh Daryl, the founder of Orphan Liberia, called me. He said, you know, I heard that, you know, what happened. Uh I w I've been meaning to make a God's been pushing me to make a leap of faith and uh hiring my first full time employee and I want you to be it when you <laughs> when you come work for me. And I was like, Wow. 
and I said, absolutely yes and uh so i that happened uh i started i didn't hard, i didn't miss one paycheck and uh i jumped on uh with orphan aid liberia and um we started going at it ever since and uh, mm-hmm. i've been to liberia west africa f- for uh past two years i've been working for the organization i've been there seven times um and you know what i do what orphan aid liberia does is uh, Daryl got called over there 10 years ago on a mission trip and he just felt called to do more because of the war, because of the, uh, Ebola outbreak. Uh, the country is, I think currently the eighth poorest country in the world. Uh, at the time it was the third poorest country in the world, just deplorable conditions. Yeah. Um, bad stuff over there. And, uh, the kids, it just created, you know, over 300,000 orphans and, and Liberia is as a country, it's about the size of Tennessee. So it's not a huge country, but there's a lot of people in there. And, uh, so there's a lot of poverty and, uh, so what Darrell did was start with one orphanage uh, and he helped those 70 kids. And 10 years later, now today we're, uh, we're feed, we feed over 1,035 children daily. Uh, we educate, we have over 500 children in school, some of whom have graduated college and are working at the very orphanage that they were founded by. Wow. And, and we deworm, which is a part of our medication uh, uh, initiative, over 13,000 children across the country uh, annually. And um, along with other projects, like we build wells where needed, uh, dormitories, um, the list goes on. There's so much. We, we actually have chicken farms, too. We put 100 chickens on the orphanages. So we're teaching these kids uh, the agriculture side of things, how they can actually uh, farm, be farmers, as well as provide protein for themselves. So uh, we're doing all these cool new initiatives this year. And, uh, you know, the past, my third, my third, my second trip, actually, I went over there. It was the, my first trip that I was full time for Wolfen A Liberia. So it was my first legit trip. And I was over there and we were doing assessing new orphanages that maybe we could bring on if their needs were great. And I remember on our fourth day, we went to this orphanage that we'd never been to before. And uh, as we pull up, it's the same, you know, it's the same thing. Uh, people come up to you. The kids come up to you. They're singing, they're, they're, uh, they're laughing, they're having fun. Yeah. And, uh, but that time that I was a little, um, uh, the first trip I was running on a lot of adrenaline. This trip was a little more like, I was a little more tired. I was, um, I wasn't around a lot of people cause the first trip was a team trip of eight people. This time it was just me and Daryl. Uh, mm-hmm. so I had a lot more quiet time and you know, when you have a lot of quiet time, you just, you start yeah. thinking a lot. I started missing my kids a lot. Mm-hmm. And, um, I remember going up to that orphanage and this little kid came up to me and, uh, uh, he's no more than two years old. Uh, and he, you know, kind of just reached his hands up as wanted me to pick him up. And I never had that. Usually a kid that young uh, sees a white man and they're, they're scared because they haven't huh. seen him that much when they're that deep in the bush. But he yeah. wanted me to hold him. And I wanted to hold him badly because I wanted to feel that kind of childlike feeling again, yeah. like my children. And uh, man, it was such a powerful experience for me to hold that kid. And we have, um, <laughs> so when I got back, I had, a, I had, so- I had software for, uh, um, Orphan Aid Liberia that we just now launched that you can dedicate your birthday or donate your birthday. I'm, I'm sure you heard it before. Other yeah. prophets do it. And I was like, I'm, my birthday was coming up. I'm going to donate my birthday to Peter in his orphanage. <laughs> and um, I said, I'm $800 will feed these kids for, you know, three months. Can we please, can you help me raise this money? The money was raised in six hours. <laughs> nice. So I, my next trip, I'm already planning. I, we stopped by uh, the third trip I'm there. I'm over there and I have these uh, bags of rice on top of my, uh, uh, on top of the car. And I'm filming all this because I want people to see what they're doing for Peter, my buddy Peter and all his orphanage friends. And we're pulling up this dirt road and we get to the place and everyone's cheering because they see the bag of food. And I'm like, yes, man, this is what it's about. And, uh, 
then I'm like, okay, where's, I see mother, uh, the mother of the orphanage. I see John, I see, I see Sarah. I said, where's Peter? And I'm looking around and, uh, I don't see Peter. And I'm like, and I asked the mother, I said, mother, where's Peter? And she kind of looks at me and, uh, very sorrow. And, uh, she said, uh, Peter's dead. And I'm like, Peter's dead. Huh. What do you mean Peter's dead? And she said, yes, Peter caught infection and, uh, he had no clinic and, uh, he's dead. And that just punched as like a hundred pounds of bricks just piling on me. Like, yeah. and I just cut my camera off and I kind of just got back in the car. And even though all the other kids didn't understand or why I was upset or why I was sad because they were just excited that they see this yeah. stuff all the time. It was just yeah. life to it's them. like normal to them. Wow. Yeah. And I thought about my, my children and just being, just getting affection and just dying because they couldn't get anywhere. And I was like, yeah. this just didn't make sense. And, uh, so, uh, I got home and I told Allie, uh, as soon as I got home, I said, I think we, uh, I think God wants us to go to Liberia. Cause I f- really felt called after that situation. I said, yeah. not to say that I'm some kind of savior for these kids or, or, or anything like that. Uh, but I could be helpful over there. I think yeah. we could be a lot more helpful while, if we plant some roots over there, I've been wanting to develop a sponsorship program over there and it just doesn't get done in two weeks time. Yeah. yeah, and at, yeah. and after that, I miss my family. After two weeks, I miss my family so greatly. I, I don't want to spend any more time over there by myself. And uh, she said no. Uh, <laughs> <at first. laughs> she, yeah. she politely looked down at her growing belly uh, that held our third son, and she just said no. Yeah. And um, and so I just let it sit for a, about six months or so. And after my you know fourth trip, uh. We talked about it some more after our third child was here and he was growing and, and uh, getting older. And, and she had this dream, this vivid dream that she, you know, she was supposed to go as well. And uh, um, that sounds cliche. It sounds weird. But um, yeah, we've been at it ever since. She said, let's do this. And uh, it's been a year of discerning and, and planning. And now, heck, we're a couple months away, not even you know, a couple months away from uh, our departure. So. We're heading out in January and uh, the plan is to take the family and just plant some roots for a year and just uh, give back what God so graciously gave us. Yeah, dude, that's uh, amazing, dude. And, and uh, crazy how things lined up the way that they did with your, you know, you <clears throat> selling your company and then them selling the company and then you getting the, you know, the job, um, going to Liberia, everything, everything, Everything had to line up perfectly to, uh, to come to where you're at today. Yeah. Um, now, you said you're going to go in January. So does that, does that mean for you, like, have, are you guys leaving everything behind in, uh, in, in Cartersville and you're taking the family over there? Where do you, where do you guys live when you go over there? Like, where, what, what, do, what does everyday like, life look like when you're there, or at least what, what you know as of right now, um, like logistically, just like the normal, normal things? Yeah, Liberia is, uh, man, it's a complicated place. Um, it's, um, we'll be living in Monrovia, which is the capital city, uh, for several reasons. Uh, one is because it's the only place that uh, has electricity running through it just about. But it's not operated off a generator. Uh, only 5% of the entire country is hooked up to have electricity uh, that's not operated on a generator. Uh, and then able to do my job, I need Wi-Fi, I need constant electric, electrical current. So uh, yeah. we're going to be in the city. 
uh, and my children will have a, a place to actually, uh, we found a school, a, a little school that they can attend, a little international school. Yeah. Uh, it's like a daycare um, uh, that they'll be able to go to that's, that's only a few miles away from where we'll be staying. But we'll be in a small apartment complex in the city. Um, and the thing that's, that's going to hurt us the most is we're very, I uh, married into a beautiful family. Mm. Uh, God knew I needed what I, what I got out of them, uh, what I do get out of them every day. Uh, and they live literally a stone's throw away from where we live right now. So my children, they see their grandparents and yeah, their cousins yeah, and their tough. sisters every single day. My sister-in-law has twins as well mm. that are only a year and a half old. So all of our kids are around the same age and they all hang out every day. Um, so that's the biggest thing that's going to hurt me is thinking that I'm hurting them by taking them away. Yeah. Um, and it's not like, you know, what, what we're granted here is, heck, you can see right now I'm sitting outside. Uh, it's a beautiful day. I can go to the three or four parks that are surrounding yeah. in my radius. I can go hike the mountain with my children. I can go play baseball. Those things aren't going to be possible in, in Monrovia um, without certain, you know, precaution. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Because, of, because of malaria, because of all these things, even though we'll be on medication, because of you're just – you're when you're the haves in a world of have nots, you just draw a lot of attention, especially being, you know, taller, wider people. You just, I have missionary oh, yeah. friends living over there and they just tell me the stories. <laughs> like you can't go anywhere in public. It's like almost being famous, but in a bad way. Like it's just, yeah. uh, it's not good. So my, my, to be normal, um, me and my wife, um, will just have to, um, be extremely cautious, uh, cautious of, again, like I said, what we, um, we talked about earlier about, our kids watch our every move. And that's the biggest yeah. thing I, as talk is making this discernment and, and processing this. I have friends that are over there and I asked them, I was like, what do you, what do you um, suggest for, you know, transitioning my kids over here? What are they going to feel like? What are they going to do? What should I look out for? And, and they said, look, your kids are going to adjust quicker than you. Mm. The thing is that you have to be at like, everything's normal and they're going to act exactly the same way they do right here. Yeah. And uh, so that was big for me to know. So me and my wife, as soon as we, I actually took her on my most recent trip to, to hundred percent get approval that this is, she, this was doable for her and she can mentally prepare and physically prepare and uh, took her where we would be living. And uh, she was at peace with everything. Uh, but what we got out of that trip when we got back was that we're going to have to, to feed ourselves spiritually together as mm. a couple. And that's something I, I lacked at before that trip. Uh, yeah. is having a relationship with my wife. And that's what alcohol, as alcoholics, like sometimes we forget, that, especially if our spouse is not a recovering alcoholic, that they're in this thing with you. They all, they always have been. So they deserve to be, you know, a part of it at, at, some, at some level. I'm not saying you have to lead them, let them all the way in uh, to your inventory or anything, but you have, they have to be a part of your spiritual walk or it's not going to be a hundred percent full. It's not going to, you're not going to get the fruits out of it. And uh, man, I, it was simple. It just adding a devotion every night when we go to bed, when I put my kids down for, uh, when we put our kids down together, we wait a few minutes then we break out a devotional. We talk about something spiritual. We talk about the day and then we pray together. And it was the first time I prayed out loud yeah. with my wife and it was like a huge relief just 
just came off my shoulders. Yeah, and we've been great. doing it ever since. And we've been <laughs> feeding each other spiritually ever since. And uh, so that's going to be the key. Me and my wife staying strong and spiritually yeah. fit as a couple is going to be the key to my kids' success and our success over there next year. Yeah. Yeah, dude, I'm, uh, I'm blown away, bro. I mean, I'm just going to say it. The balls that it takes, the faith that it takes, um, you know, the, uh, uh, the positivity um, not to mention all of the logistical stuff I'm sure that goes into something like this um, and all, all in, all in the need and the want to, uh, to serve others and, and help provide uh, kids with a better life and some opportunity, man. I just admire the heck out of it, man. And uh, I appreciate you coming on today and, uh, and sharing your story. Um, and then of course uh, the work that you and your family are about to uh, about to go into in January, and I, you know, I just I wish you guys the best, and uh, I know Jess and I will definitely be praying for you guys, and uh, we'll be thinking about you, and um, you know, I definitely want to uh, want to keep in touch over the next couple of months too. Um, where I know you guys um, have a website. If anyone wants to go check that out to get more information about how they could help out uh, with your with with your guys's um, trip, uh, where could they do that, Zach? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we made a website, uh, which is called best version Liberia, uh, com, uh, and that's named after our project's going to be the best version project. And what we're going to be doing is just develop a sponsorship program for the kids we already serve over there. Uh, and I just, it's just going to allow me to get a little more in depth and, and get to know their stories better and kind yeah. of bring them to the, the donors and, and give them a personal access to that. So, um, these kids are the future of their country and all they need is a little help, a little assistance. They don't, we're not trying to be band-aids or, or, or yeah. uh, take full control. We want to give them the tools that they need to be, to, to lead their country. So uh, yeah. uh, it's a beautiful thing. So, and I appreciate you having me on here to, to kind of talk about it and talk about my recovery because, <laughs> Hey, without me getting sober six years ago, <laughs> this is happening. Yeah. This is not, I was, I was literally, rubbing smoke off of uh, furniture at a fire restoration company <laughs> counting down the hours not not to say if anyone's out there that does yeah. that not to say nothing's wrong with that but i was just <laughs> i was doing nothing at the moment so um yeah, yeah. this life's a beautiful life man uh if we'll just wake up and say yes to it and just go with yeah. it yeah good stuff my brother i appreciate you man and, and we'll be sure to put the links in the show notes so if anyone out there listening if you want to uh if you want to check that out you can go to uh not um and uh and you can find those links there uh zach dude thanks again man and uh we'll, we'll keep in touch man thanks brother yeah, if, uh, and, and thanks everyone for tuning in today. Uh, once again, if, uh, if you want any more information, you can go to thatsoberguy.com. Connect with us on Instagram, at RealThatSoberGuy, and uh, at Shane Raymond on Twitter. Peace, love, and respect. Keep your blood clean. Peace.